Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, we turn to data design and data visualization on TV. That's right, a television, a thing you actually sit down in your house and watch. Uh, maybe not on your phone, not on your computer, an actual television. There is data design and data viz going on on the TV. And so I'm very happy to have Kenton Powell with me, uh, who is the head of design and graphics at Vice News, to talk to us about the exciting stuff that they're doing on Vice News. Uh, Kenton, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Great to be here. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show because you have a fairly varied background working with data in multiple uh, dimensions and platforms. I want to try to get into all of that and, and get your perspective on how you communicate these things to different audiences and what your experience has been like doing this on television. So can you start by telling us about your background and the sort of things that you're doing over there at Vice? Uh, definitely. So you sort of mentioned my varied background. Um, I think coming to Vice has been really interesting for me because like you mentioned, I sort of have not always worked in TV. I started my career at uh, Bloomberg Business Week on the graphics team, so making graphics for a magazine every week. I was there for a little bit, and then I worked um, on a different team at Bloomberg, uh, working on sort of like consumer-facing data visualization products. And so these were like uh, a couple-month projects that were relatively big, and they were sort of these like interactive applications. So one of them was like uh, Bloomberg Billionaires, project. Um, mm -hmm. After that, I worked at the Guardian US interactive team here um, in New York on, again, interactive projects that sort of ranged uh, in scope and scale uh, for a couple of years and had a really great experience there and was approached to come work on um, this new show, the, you know, a, a nightly news TV show on HBO. Um, Josh Tieringel, who runs uh, Vice News here, and I had worked together at Bloomberg Business Week. Um, you know, we had gotten along and sort of shared sensibilities. And I think he had a vision for this show that would incorporate essentially a lot of the great thinking in these different mediums. And that sounded really interesting to me. And, and he was sort of agreeable to... Uh, to me joining the team despite having no experience in TV and to sort of, that's, yeah, that's how we kind of ended up here at, at, um, at Vice News. That's awesome. Um, for folks who haven't seen it, who don't have subscriptions to HBO or like me, get the free HBO every couple of months from my cable provider. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the show is and from your perspective, what are the visual elements of the show? Definitely. So I think the design of the show is a bit more important than the design of other news shows because the show is unhosted. So it's like a 30 minute unhosted nightly news show. The hosts of a nightly news show typically lead you into pieces, lead you out of pieces, give you a little bit of context and kind of stitch together the show with sort of tone and personality. And so we knew that we wouldn't have that in any one given person. So we would have people report pieces, but they would be sort of responsible for that piece, not for the whole show. And so right. the design essentially uh, needed to really be the sort of design and visual language of the show needed to be the glue that could hold all of these pieces together and, and have you sort of sit down watch a show and feel like, okay, I just watched, I watched a cohesive television show. I didn't watch like a playlist of clips. Yeah. Right. 
so I think this was a really this was a really interesting challenge for us, and we kind of settled on this idea of um, sort of a stream is what we kind of call it, a stream of, of video. And so I think what that is in practice is like a, a white canvas. And so it's a big white space where uh, video kind of comes in from the left, pops into place and kind of uh, maybe pops back and, and moves out to the left. So it's content kind of comes in frame and then leaves frame. And, and I think it's sort of swipey in nature it's inspired by kind of interaction design you can sort of imagine it's tv so you don't actually interact with it but you sort of imagine like this is what it would be like if your thumb kind of moved in video before kind of like pushing it back out the um the other side of the screen so this design language is really important and it gives us this flexibility yeah basically if you watch the show you'll see this like you'll see this white space that you kind of come to realize is the host or sort of the the canvas of the show and then you'll see kind of video and and I think it it ends up giving you if you watch the show with some regularity I think a real gives the show a real distinctive look um but I think it's rooted in this kind of functionality right Who's driving the content? Are there individual reporters who are driving the content? Is there like a, an editor in chief who's pulling, stitching everything together? Yes, yeah, so there are two sort of EPs on the show, executive producers of the show, and they're working closely with. We have pods here. They're working closely with pods who are essentially like desks at other news organizations um, mm. that are surfacing stories. They're kind of greenlighting these stories, and these stories are being sort of shot and then kind of put together on a rundown and discussed throughout the day. And so the timelines vary depending on the newsiness of um, Mm -hmm. a particular story. But basically these executive producers in these various meetings with these sort of desks or or pods are are greenlighting stories and then essentially deciding when and if they should go on TV. Yeah, interesting. You you mentioned in your description that the reporters or the journalists are um, reporting on the story. How does the production work in terms of the reporters, the journalists doing their interviews, pulling the story together, and then working with your team to actually create the content? I remember my father-in-law worked for um, ABC News Radio for almost 40 years. And towards the end of his career, he would do the reporting. He would record everything on his computer. He would stitch the whole story together. You know, at the beginning of his career, he would do the interview and send the raw tapes into the studio and they would pull it together. But at the end of his career, you know, he was having to do all the work uh, on his own. So what's the production process like for the journalists and then your team and then getting it on air? Yeah. I mean, they have a pretty difficult job. I think everybody here really does. And that I think the expectation is that everybody does a lot. So I think the journalists um, are, there are some producers who are not on camera, but there are a lot of the, the sort of the people that you see on screen are reporters and journalists and are helping to, to shape and craft these stories in their own right. And so they're kind of working together um, to shape these pieces and put them together. And then when they come back from the field, they're going to sit with an editor while these pieces are edited. And then we can work with them on pieces and sort of determine what sorts of graphics um, we need to including the pieces to add context, um, to explain particularly complex processes, um, all of that. And so, mm-hmm. 
So basically, those are, are conversations that start via email, and then kind of we go back and forth. And so our team works in a really fluid way with those desks. Um, I think the one thing that I would note here is that probably only half of our work or so is um, work that we collaborate with other people, like on their stories. And so we would call those like graphics that might go in other people's packages. We do create a lot of sort of original work that mm. comes from our team and, and that comes together a little bit differently. Um, those are pitched from within our team or pitched to our team. And what we'll do in those cases is we'll really start um, with a script. And at mm. that point, we'll kind of assess a script and figure out what is an approach that makes sense for us um, to tell this story. So. It could be motion graphics that could be really data rich. So it could be kind of a sequence of charts and graphs. It could be something that really needs some character development. And so maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it requires illustration or animation. Um, It really kind of runs the gamut. So our team has, I think, intense flexibility because we do use graphics. Uh, we do have an editor on our team. We also have illustrators. And so I think the output of the work we do is far more varied. And I think that we have flexibility and ways into stories that might otherwise be tricky. And so I think we've become sort of a unique asset to the show in that way. Um, one of the things that, you know, again, my my boss sort of said when we first got started is that a lot of TV news uh, will choose to ignore stories where there is not video. Like essentially, if there's nothing to show on TV, then there's not a story as they see it. And so I think what we are able to do is we are allowed to say like, okay, this is a story that really is only about numbers and there's like there's quite literally no video. And so with those numbers, we can create, again, charts and graphs and, and move them in sequence and have something that you can see on screen. So we can turn these sort of seemingly non-visual stories into visual stories. Well, that's really interesting. There may not be an actual interview with a person, but you can use data or you can use illustrations to to visualize the the content itself. That is really interesting. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a way that I didn't even quite really realize that yeah. think, like, like other mediums don't have, I mean, they have other kinds of challenges that they face, but like, you know, if you don't get the quote you need, you can typically kind of write around that. Yeah. I was surprised. It was basically like, if we don't have video, we don't have a story because this is so rigidly a video first medium. Right. But but on the flip side, you also have this challenge of presenting graphics and data, at least the thing that I'm thinking about, obviously, to an audience where it is flashing by, whereas in your previous work, you know, at, at Bloomberg and at Guardian, you're sometimes at least creating content where the goal is for someone to interact with it. So how do you think differently about creating content for people where it's sort of a more passive receipt of the information as opposed to something that's a little more active where I can sit down and I can click with something? Yeah, so I think there are really kind of two sort of approaches that I think that we sort of settle on that are really sort of helpful. One is managing density. And I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. In print, you can make a really simple graphic and people will just kind of glance at your simple graphic and and sort of be done with it. Or you can make like a really complex graphic and people can really sit and study it. 
And so one of the things that we sort of had to figure out was on TV, you can't just put up a simple graphic or put up a complex graphic that really, I think people understand and process graphics as like a function of time. Like they basically like one kind of graphic could take up the same exact amount of space, but if it is particularly simple, it will only take, you know, like let's say three seconds to kind of like fully internalize. Whereas these more sophisticated ones take much longer to kind of internalize. Maybe they take 30 seconds or a minute. And so what we sort of kind of figured out is that, okay, so what you need to do is that's the amount of time that you need to have something on screen. So if something can be sort of processed really quickly, then it only needs to be on screen really quickly. If something's going to take much longer to sort of process and internalize, then what you need to kind of do is find a way to stretch that graphic to sit on screen for that long. However, you can't just put something on screen statically for a minute um, because people don't sort of interact with the medium in that way. So we figured out that you kind of have to reveal additional information or slide over a graphic in time or layer on information or layer on and remove information. And that kind of leads me to the next sort of approach, which is I think sometimes in print, but particularly in interactive graphics, there's this idea that there doesn't necessarily need to be like a really strong narrative associated with the graphic. Whereas in TV, all of our pieces start with a script. So it's very like, what are we going to show you? And then what are we going to show you? And then what are we going to be telling you while we're showing you that? And these kinds of, there's like a dance between what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And so I think what you're hearing is usually, you know, VO or soundbite. And so we, we need to sort of make sure that that nicely complements what you're seeing and kind of moves things along. I wonder whether you think people who are creating either static charts or interactive charts for print or for digital or whatever, I wonder, do you think that they should have a, a script in mind? Because I often feel like people make graphs and they're like, here you go. Here's the line chart, you know, good luck. Um, whereas if they did sort of have a script in their head, at least they might take a different approach to putting the title on that graph or adding the color to that graph. So I know TV is sort of like a completely different medium, perhaps than what a lot of people are working in. But I wonder if that philosophy of thinking about a script, even if it's a single chart, it would be helpful to people as they create data and are communicating their data. Definitely. I absolutely think that. And I actually think that we have started to see that. I would say over the last few years, I'm a huge fan of the New York Times. And I feel like many more of the graphics that we see the graphics team create are like, It's an article with a graphic that specifically relates to what you just learned in the article or what you should be looking at. And then the article continues a little bit. And then there's another graphic. Instead of graphics being supplementary, they're sort of Mm. integral and their placement is very precise and, and particular. I definitely think people should be doing it. And I do. I do think that people are doing it. Mm. For people who are not at the Times, the folks that I tend to work with and, and talk to, content sort of comes first, right? The, the getting the data, doing the analysis comes first, and the visuals or the communication sort of second order. What would you say to them? Like, how would you say, here's how you should think about designing a script for your five-page report that has three graphs in it. Here's how you should think about creating this script. That's an interesting question. I think that 
I know I'm taking you out of your comfort zone, I know, but um, you know, I, I think it's it's easy for us to talk about what the Times and the Post and the Guardian do. And I'm wondering for, you know, the other ninety-nine percent of ninety-nine point nine percent of people who are making graphs every day, to get them to think a little bit more the way you're talking. I mean, I guess I would just think about it however you structure your piece, I assume has multiple points. You know, like I always think back to like what the most kind of rudimentary construction is like the five paragraph essay. Do you remember, did you learn the five paragraph essays? I did. Yeah. Yep. It's basically yep. your introduction, your three points and then your three points. conclusion. So I sort of feel like <laughs> the most rudimentary approach, you basically would say, okay, point one, and then you, you know, you would make your point and you would say, and this is the evidence in the form of a graphic with this data that I have collected that supports point one. And then kind of point two, and then this is, you know, the evidence that I've collected that supports point two, and this is the visualization of that point. And then, you know, point three, similarly, and then, you know, if, I don't know, maybe there's something at the end that kind of ties it all together. I think it's a pretty straightforward approach. Yeah. Like, I don't know that it, yeah, it's, it's not about rocket science. I think that what, where things can go wrong is if you go, okay, I've got, you know, I've, I've got my three points and then you go, oh, and I have some kind of tangential data, but I could make a chart and just include that. Like, that's where you're not winning. I don't think, yeah. you know, by including sort of the ancillary data or just like, oh, yeah. the supplemental thing at the end that you feel free to take a look at if you're so interested or even, you know, something at the top because it's going to make for beautiful lead art, but is really not related to the points that I'm going to make. Yeah. And what's interesting is you can't do that, right? Like you can't have these tangential points because you have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of your audience's attention. Correct. And not only that, but we actually, um, one thing that we learned early on was I was like, oh, you know, let's not be too concerned with, uh, with echoing the exact, you know, the exact point that we're making in the sort of the narration or the voiceover. And I quickly learned that actually there couldn't be too much dissonance or else it would genuinely be like a bit of a mind bender because you'd be hearing yeah. one thing and seeing another. So not only can we not because of time restraints on the show, but like we, we also can't because it's actually, it's pretty confusing if you try to watch the show and you do that. Right. Right. Where you're showing a graph or whatever that has a couple of data points, but you, the, the narration is sort of moved on or. Yeah. Or is like trying- or is only loosely related. Right. It's like, right. like if it's like, it's, I was surprised at how closely related the ideas really do need to be. They can be a little bit different. Like we like to add context on screen. So we mm. think we can give you like a little bit more, but it has to be a little bit more of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Do you do a lot of user testing or audience testing with, with the show? You know, we really don't. It's tricky because the analytics online have gotten so wild that you can really figure out what people are doing. Um, you have kind of some crude measurements based on mm-hmm. like size of audience. Um, and then you have sort of more anecdotal evidence based on what people are saying on social networks. Um, but we mostly are sort of guided by essentially all the people that we work with. And like, mm-hmm. does this make sense? Uh, do you, you know, does, do you get this? Are you, over, are you overwhelmed? Are you underwhelmed? Are you confused? Right. That's primarily how we're getting feedback. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way most people are doing it. <laughs> that, that seems no, to be universal across all platforms then. Um, yeah. 
I want to ask you one one more question. So so here in the U.S., the show is at least I watch it on HBO, but HBO could also be, you know, on TV, but it could also be on HBO Go. Um, I think if if I'm right, uh, in other countries, you can get Vice News on different platforms. So yeah. are you when you're designing, are you also thinking about specifically mobile, like how people are going to be interacting and watching the show on their phones on their way to work? Yeah, I mean, we are to an extent. I think one of the things we yeah. knew, we definitely knew when we were coming up with kind of like the size, the type sizes was mm-hmm. that we needed essentially type sizes that would work on phones. And so yeah. I think like those are kind of the primary sorts of concerns. Um, and then we have, you know, certain areas that we sort of know there may, oh, there may be a logo there, so we won't put anything too important there. Um mm-hmm. And then actually in TV, there's already some kind of some safeties built in that you sort of mm, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Keep, um, keep text out of. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty wild to think yeah. that when we were we sort of approached the show, we sort of like knew like absolutely on day one, there will be people that only consume this on mobile devices. Right, right. Let me end with this question. Do you think that at least in data visualization and within that, field of people communicating data, I should say. Do you think that video is underutilized? Yeah, I think video is a relatively new space. I think there is some interesting work happening. I think there are some real strengths to video, especially as they relate to people character development. I think really like scene setting and and mood and, and yeah. like you're really in a place. I don't know that there's been as much exploration and I think this is something we're working on of kind of playing to the strengths of the format that kind of like take advantage of all of the things that I just mentioned and sort of marrying that with data and annotation mm-hmm. in sort of interesting and innovative ways. Yeah, that's really interesting. And what video I think allows you to do in some ways is to, like you said, is be able to tell those stories, get actual people involved where static graphs or interactives, you in some ways force people to in many cases, at least, just work with the data. Um, whereas video, the viewer might be able to relate to what they see on screen in a, in a different, more personal way. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think just sort of on that note, I think one of the kind of the things that I saw when I first came to Vice, having worked at other news organizations, is that I'd seen a lot of really powerful journalism, but I think Vice News, in a lot of ways, is like a very documentary-style news organization. And so... Thinking about that and looking at that and feeling like you're immersed in a different place or you're really getting you know, to know a, a character. For me, I felt like these really powerful storytelling techniques were at play and it was like, ah, we need to, to sort of lean into this um, and find a way to have the work that we do complement that work. Because in print and online, if it doesn't have video, it's, you know, the best you get is really great photography and There is just something that is really different from really great video and really great photography. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, it's really interesting. I've been enjoying the show since we we talked uh, a few months ago. I've been sort of tuning in and watching it. It's really interesting work. And um, Ken, thanks for coming on the show and and talking about it. And um, I look forward to, to seeing what you guys come up with next. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great chatting. Yeah. Um, And thanks everyone for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know if you have thoughts on how to incorporate 
data and data viz into video. It's something I'm very curious about. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.